you awesome nerds. Welcome back to Pitch Slapped. My name is Kelly Hillier and this is the podcast all around Pitch Perfect because it's awesome. Today on the podcast, we're going to be delving into the Pitch Perfect movies. I've been wanting to do this for a little while. And so I got together with some fans of the movies to literally watch bits of the films and talk about them. So we're going to do the first scene of the movie today the very very first bit where you get the intro with universal acapella and then it delves into the finals the treble makers and the bellas and puke gate of course rounding off the performance so i'm well excited to get into it and it's scary when you get fans of pitch perfect together how you can take one scene and talk about it for like an hour so it's It's going to be interesting. We've also got some fan fiction highlights for you. One that I am well excited about is a new triple treble multi-chapter. Can't wait. So with all of that, let's get into it. Let's see what the actors have been getting up to over the past week. Well, I think we need to start off with the elephant in the room, which is Anna Kendrick. I don't really know kind of what to say. There's been so much that you could talk about with poor Anna Kendrick because of the TikTok drama that uh, escalated. Somebody did some TikTok videos of basically their experience meeting Anna Kendrick in kind of like a work setting and how bad their experience was. And they kind of don't hold anything back with their disdain of, of the whole experience. And like they really go into it. And this kind of prompted a lot of fans and things just being like, what the heck? Why is this? And it's like scary to think like your favourite actress could or could not act that way. And I'm not going to go into the whole drama. There's a lot online and lots of people have been kind of debating around this subject. But one thing that I will say is just from a fan's perspective, it really was amazing to just see the fandom come together and just people who love Anna Kendrick and the the work that she does just kind of banding together and sharing their own experiences and interactions with Anna and of course Anna did tweet some stuff at random fans it was great waking up in the morning and suddenly I've got notifications on my phone that Anna Kendrick has like tweeted some stuff and it's all just random people on Twitter that she's just like tweeted at (laughs) and one of my favorite bits of the whole thing was when a number of fans got together and they created this hashtag called Anna Kendrick's Kids and they kind of set aside a time of the day and was like okay everybody get on at this time and then tweet using this hashtag of the favorite things that you like from Anna Kendrick and so like it was really cool to go on And to just see everybody's experiences and their appreciation for Anna Kendrick and the stuff that she does. And like from something that started off being really horrible to see how it turned into this amazing thing of just people's appreciation and how it had affected their lives and motivates them and just the difference that somebody can make in someone's life. And it was just so cool to read them all. Even to the point, I was like, online at the time kind of reading everybody's tweets with this hashtag Anna Kendrick's kids and then Anna Kendrick pops on and like tweets at one of them with some like amazing just like connections and 
stuff and it was just like it just filled you up with so much good stuff and this is what you want you just want like the good positive vibes and it was just you felt so unified with all these people that you'd never met but just who all love the same thing and all got something positive out of their fandom of Anna Kendrick so like for those people who set up that hashtag it was such a good thing to do and like to check out and just band people together and it just proves like this stuff means something to people and that it affects people's lives in a positive way next up anna camp over the past week there's been a few little announcements about a project that she's been working on called the unwanted podcast it's an action comedy set in the 80s and it's about two degenerate BFFs who devise a plan to catch an escaped murderer in hopes of earning the million dollar bounty prize. What could go wrong? So she's featuring the podcast story and also Flula Borg is in it as well. And it's apparently going to be released on the 23rd of February this year. So we haven't got long to wait. And I'm kind of excited to hear her in it and see like what part she's going to play. Chrissy Fit has been well busy. If you've been anywhere in and around her Instagram lately, she has been doing a number of shots from her filming. She's currently filming Nora from Queen season two. Also, she announced that a movie that she is in called Woman is Losers will have its world premiere at this year's SXSW Film Festival virtually. The film is set in the 1960s in San Francisco and the summary says a once promising Catholic schoolgirl sets out to rise above the oppression of poverty and invest in a future for herself that sets a new precedence for the time. And she's also a guest on the Spanish Acqui Presents podcast. Their latest episode, she talks about acting, celebrity crushes and Cuban representation. And you can check that out on Apple Podcasts and their Instagram account, which is Spanish Acqui Presents. Gaila Austin is also a guest on a podcast called I'm So Obsessed. He talks about his experience on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist crazy ex-girlfriend and pitch perfect and also gets into a little bit of conversation about his joy of professional wrestling and finally with valentine's day that has just happened kelly jacko has been doing some really sweet things online she shared an instagram post the other day talking about her work that she does with her patron community and it's just amazing to see what she gets up to you forget that she's doing so much work behind the scenes that you don't know. And one of those is her Patreon community. And she shares that during Valentine's Day, she sent her patrons a Valentine's video. So she took the time to film Valentine's videos and send them to her patrons. She also mentions in her Instagram post that she looks forward to their Zoom Q&As and group hangouts every month. Like there's so much that she's doing. Even her mum is a patron, so she got her own little Valentine's as well. And that's just like so cool and so sweet. Like she has this little community of all the creative projects that she does. I mean, she's an amazing singer and she shares all this stuff. Like she gives it back to her community and it's so cool. That's it for our action news this week. Let's delve into the very beginnings of Pitch Perfect. <laughs> 
So we've been talking a lot about Pitch Perfect on the podcast because it is a Pitch Perfect podcast. But one thing we haven't done yet is to actually delve properly into the movies. And I wanted to do this for a little while. So I thought, what better way to do this than to get creators on and to just start talking about the movies of Pitch Perfect. So I am very, very excited to delve in to Pitch Perfect 1. And what better place than the very beginning? And I'm going to be doing that today with Holly. Hi, Holly. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Honestly, an honor to be just really, really an honor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time. Could you maybe just kind of introduce yourself for people so they know who you are, what you do? Sure, sure. Um, I'm Holly, obviously. Uh, my Tumblr's uh, Incredibile. People just call me Beale on there, though, most of the time. You can find anything, not not anything recent, really, but anything that I've worked on is uh, on, my, on my Tumblr, so. Just so people know, if you hear some strange noises, we have some ferrets at Holly's. What are their names? Uh, Moose and Mallory. Okay, so Moose and Mallory might be on the podcast as we do. We'll find may, out. May or may not. I apologize no. in advance. Uh, I was hoping that they would be chill, but, you know, that's not in a ferret's vocabulary, so. They're excited that we're talking about Pitch Perfect. It's oh, all okay. Of course, they're big fans. Yeah. <laughs> You've kind of, in the past, written stories around Pitch Perfect, sort of fan fiction and stuff that you can see on the Tumblr. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you've There's done, like, multiple links. ships and stuff yeah oh yeah i you know i started with the chloe usually how i go about getting into different ships is like i see other people shipping something and i'm like you know i don't i don't see how that would work and then i read like a fanfic or two and then i'm like okay so my brain just starts like over analyzing everything in the like i'll go back and watch the movie and be like okay i see i see what you're i'm picking up what you're putting down and then I saw people ship Mitchison, actually, and then Cobbery, Chobbery, whatever you want to, however you pronounce it, however you want to pronounce it. I just can't pick one that I like the most. I know for most, it's probably the Chloe, because, you know, that's the main thing. But I just have a love for many different ships amongst the Pitch Perfect fandom. So That's so interesting, though. I, I think I kind of found a similar thing was I kind of dove in because of the Chloe and kind of, I mean, I still love the Chloe stories. It's my favorite ship. But right. when you then are on like AO3 or fanfiction.net and you see a story, and you're like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, this is different. And so like you're intrigued and you go in and you kind of read it. I remember I kind of veered off the Chloe with Triple Treble. Uh, yeah, like, you know what? I think now that I'm thinking about it, it might have been Triple Treble that I went into next. But, you know. Exactly, but that's exactly because you're like, how would that work? And you're like, you're curious. You go in hesitant, and you're like, this isn't, you know. And then you get into it. You accidentally fall, like head over heels for it. So that's me. I'm like, this isn't gonna work. And you just you're curious, and you read it, and then you're like, oh my god, I love it. Yeah, and then suddenly you're hooked on triple travel, and you're like, what happened? <laughs> you need more <laughs> more fakes to read, more content. And then, you know, you have those ships that rarely ever get written. And then you're like, well, I guess I'm going to have to sail this ship on my own and create your content. So I love it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of the ones that surprised me was Mitchson because I never kind of hooked into it. And then 
I think after Triple Treble, you kind of opened to it more because you kind of brought into the idea of Aubrey and Becca. And then I read a really good mission story and I was like, oh my word, this actually, this works. Like, (laughs) exactly. Mind blown. I love as well how you kind of said like, some of the lesser known ships, you kind of got into them and it was like, there's not enough stuff written. I'm going to have to write. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to, I need it. So uh, it's hard though. Cause you know, sometimes you're like, I don't want to write this. You just have like a specific need for something. And you're like, I want somebody to read it directly from my brain and then write it. So I don't have to write it, but I want to read it. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta write it surprisingly that doesn't happen like you can't just like take the story and it's there like (laughs) this is 2021 when is somebody gonna do that come on people (laughs) (laughs) somebody gonna do that so we're gonna be delving into pitch perfect one today the beginning of pitch perfect one just before we kind of get there when did you first see pitch perfect one oh my gosh um uh, I'm trying to think. I have such a terrible memory, but I remember sitting in my room. I think I was, my mom was with me, actually. I remember seeing the previews for it online and I was like, oh my God, I was immediately obsessed. I immediately needed to see it. I was so excited for it to come out. I'm, I love singing. I love anything with music. I love music. So I, you know, I was super, super excited about that to, you know, to see a movie just about singing and gosh, this was like just in the beginning of when I like was into like um, shipping lesbian ships, you know. So when I first saw it, I was definitely like, okay, why aren't these two together? It took a couple of times before, like I said, I started off with the Chloe, but then I think it was a couple of years later that I started to get into it, hyper-focus, I guess, more into it and then delve into the other ships. It was a few months, I think, after it came out that I saw it. So from watching like the first movie, when did you get into the fandom side of things? Oh, gosh. Um, well, writing and like fan fiction and Tumblr during that time for me was like a big uh, catharsis. Not to get like super deep and personal, but I've like had depression and anxiety since I was 12 or 13. So I've always been kind of like, I've always used that as like an escape. A year or so after it came out, I think is when I really got like into fandom stuff. Like when I discovered that there was a, this whole world, this whole universe where I could like, you know, delve more into it than just the movie. Because that's the thing about movies is if you like it so much that you just feel like there could be more is what gets me to find out that there's like this whole group of people that was just as obsessed as I was. I was like, OK, that's really cool, especially that you got into it quite early on then in the fandom. Yeah, I actually uh, I. I met my uh, girlfriend of six years through Pitch Perfect. Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's got a, it's got a, it's, it's close to my heart. So we met on Tumblr, uh, not to be super nerdy, but uh, as I was looking for somebody to role play with and uh, it was the Chloe. So she was the Chloe to my Becca to be super sappy and gross. <laughs> It's perfect love story. Yeah. Right there. And it's cool that like through kind of finding them fandom stuff that you found stuff that, you know, was useful for you. The amazing thing with a fandom that you can 
find a, a safe space and yeah. you can find connections and find people that you get on with and build friendships. And I mean, in your case, find a girlfriend, like there's so much that can come from the fandom that has been created out of Pitch Perfect. Yeah, obviously there are, you know, some bad aspects to the fandom, but if you just choose to stay away from that, there's so I've met some really incredible people through the fandom, honestly. Uh, some true friends, you know, just people I talk to almost literally every day. It's a, it's always a good feeling to have somebody that you can connect to like that. I think it's kind of interesting, especially we're talking to creators, because obviously we've probably watched the movie a number of times. This isn't like the first time watching it. Like it's been around for a long time and everybody has their own thoughts on everything. And I think especially with creators, like the movie means quite a lot to them. Like it means a lot to me. I know it means a lot yeah. to you. And so it's going to be interesting. So we delve into Pitch Perfect One. I know that you've probably kind of watched the clip in preparation for today as we were going to talk about it. I know that I watched it a few times. <laughs> of course. So delving into it, of course, we start off with the acapella opening of the Universal theme. Honestly, I love that, though, because, I mean, it just kind of gives you chills, like just the preparation that they put into it, honestly. It just kind of makes you wonder what's going on through, you know, what happens behind the scenes with Chloe and Aubrey and like pre-movie kind of, I guess, that just makes Alice so horrible towards them. There's one thing that I love about this beginning scene is it obviously it's setting the scene for what the movie is going to be like. Right. And when I first went to the cinema, obviously Glee was a big thing at the time. Yeah. And I'd seen Glee... And you kind of go and thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be like a Glee movie. Like, okay, this is what we're getting. And you're kind of lulled into this false sense of security bit a little bit, just with the very, very beginning of the movie thing. Okay, this is acapella. Like, you get the universal, bam, we, we've started. And even that's kind of, we're not beating around the bush. This is acapella. Boom, here it is. Mm -hmm. But there's so many things that they just throw you off that oh, I think sure. is sort of, so quirky because it pitch perfect there is a lot of quirks in it and then you just kind of go oh wait this is this is a little bit different see i had never watched i mean i had seen like clips of glee and like i'd heard some of the covers and stuff and it was pretty good surprisingly i had never gotten into it i'm as surprised as anybody <laughs> else is about that but um i had also really never heard acapella before uh, pitch perfect like I didn't know it was a, like a, a thing as Becca would say I didn't know it was a real thing I just you know so I was like blown away by you know the, the things that people could do with their mouths <laughs> so when I first watched it and you get that universal opening the fact that they didn't use the average universal theme like they could have just chud that in there like they would have done with most movies but no they had to do it no they went the extra mile they went yeah. hard <laughs> I, I I really do. I think they do it in all the movies, don't they? All yeah, the they get different movies. different yeah. groups doing it. Um, I know that this one is Troublemakers singing. Yeah, I can't remember who is in the other two. I know <laughs> the Bellas are one either. of them. I was gonna say I'm gonna have to Google that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna it's gonna annoy me now. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna sit here and think about it. I don't know though. I can't remember. The, the trebles do their kind of opening universal bit and suddenly we're like, okay, this is acapella. 
It's also quite funny because out of all the bits from Pitch Perfect, a lot of people that I've spoken to online like to try and emulate that universal opening. There's some people who do it really well and some people who don't, but like they all like to have a go. <laughs> God, not me. I would <laughs> just tear that to shreds. <laughs> I could not do it. <laughs> or I probably could, but very badly. So then we get to the troublemakers. They're good, but they're cocky. Please don't stop the music by Rihanna. Yes. It's a good I, song. It is a good song. And I like the transitioning that they do. What I think I, is quite interesting with the beginning with the troublemakers is like you said, they automatically have this air of like, we are the best. Like the cockiness is there because they know that they're, they're good. Going to win. I mean, yeah, because... It's, I feel like a bumper is the main energy for that, you know, that air of cockiness. But I also really like their outfits for some reason. I think it's, they're very snazzy. With the little burgundy jackets or velvet yeah. jackets, whatever they're called. I think it suits them. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I always kind of wish like, man, I wish I could do something like that. Just to be a part of a group and be choreographed and harmonized to perfection like that. It would be really, it'd just be really awesome. It's like quite interesting that you mentioned this was like your first taste of acapella. True acapella, yeah. Yeah, so like, especially with their number, you know, like you said, you've got the singing and the harmonizing's all there, the choreography's there, the costumes are there. I mean, they do give almost like a perfect performance of that. I'm pretty sure I had chills the first time I watched it. That's when I know, I, I usually get like goosebumps that when I know that I really like, I am into something musically and I'm like, oh, this is really good. I'm getting the music bumps. <laughs> and especially the fact that it is just, like you said, it's just their mouths. Like there are no yeah, instruments involved. Doing, it's just very, you just have to be so committed and talented to be able to, first of all, to, you know, match pitches and um, follow along with harmonies like that because... People make it look easy, but it's very hard. And I just can't imagine the hours of work it takes to even perfect that. It's as much crap <laughs> that people give the troubles. They're good, you know? Like, I listen to their their songs on Spotify as much as I do uh, the Bella's sets, too. So. Oh, yeah, like, they are great songs. That yeah. You can't deny that they, they are good. Yeah. I know they're supposed to be the enemy, but, you know, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> So. Even with the man splits at the end. Uh, even with the man splits. <laughs> even with the man splits. Bumper Allen doing the man splits. I can't do it, so. I'm not going to attempt that, so fair play to you, Bumper Allen. That's great. Touche. Touche, good sir. There's just like, there's a lot of things in that beginning sequence that, that are just like little things that just throw you off a bit and you're just like, oh yeah, that's so good. One of them, I think when the beginning happens and you have the troublemakers starting for me is John and Gail. Oh, I love John and Gail. Really love their commentary. Yeah. <laughs> I love it's, their flow. It's the, the song best. starts and like, you're like, okay, we're going to watch a song. And then suddenly John and Gail start talking. You're like, oh, this is fantastic. Exactly. Their commentary is really just the greatest. And they know that, I mean, ooh, acapella, it's not that uh, anywhere else, you know, it's not that great, but, and they, and they know that, but in their world, it's great. I do enjoy John and Gail's, uh, their banter because they're quick with their jokes and their witty remarks. 
about the troublemakers and the Bellas and really any all, all the uh, competitors. They really do add when you're watching the movie. You know, you could just sit there and watch a whole song and, and parts of you, you do want to do that. But then they kind of add this extra element to it because yeah. clearly they're passionate about it. They want to talk about it. And then little kind of quips about things that are happening. They're so good. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily agree with all of John's comments, but no. Gail bounces off of him so well that it kind of works because some of them awkward. <laughs> she doesn't put up with uh, some of his, you know, his sexist comments is, you know, what he has. And I like that, that she just kind of doesn't really put up with it. I think also there's just like this borderline, I don't want to say it's like awkwardness, but like inappropriateness with some of the comments as well. There's a few later on, but especially in this scene when Gail's like, oh, there's nothing. I can't remember what she says exactly. Like it does to a woman when a man sings like a boy or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> just like Something like there's uh, nothing better than when a man sings like a boy or something like that. It sounds yeah. kind of bad, but it like is hilarious. Well, yeah. And her response is kind of like a sarcastic reply. But they really do definitely add a, just a, a different element to it that just kind of pulls it together really well. Yeah, and they're so glamorous. Like, always, they always go the extra mile for college competition in acapella. Exactly. So we've got John and Gail, we've got the treble makers, and then we start to get our first signs of the ballads. Starting off with Chloe. Yeah, apparently running late. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what she was doing, but she's yeah. running away. I love the fact that when we see a lot of kind of the Bellas just not quite gelling or stuff going wrong, and even here we see the misfortune that seems to come a little bit with the Bellas. Uh, of course, there's always some kind of bad luck going on. So it seems like something is always going to about to go wrong or has gone wrong. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, it feels like with them. That first look of the bells kind of makes me cringe. The, just the whole beginning scene there with uh, Alice commenting on Chloe's breath and uh, <laughs> smelling like eggs. And she's kind of like casually smelling her breath to the side. And she's yes. Like, I'm just like, uh, it just, I get secondhand embarrassment. And then, you know, like Aubrey trying to come off as, I don't even know, trying to impress Alice, which I feel like would never happen. <laughs> That would be like in a twilight world, in the twilight zone. But yeah, that whole scene. And then it just gets worse. Just goes downhill from there. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. It, it, <laughs> I think that's the thing is like, it's so interesting. You've got Chloe running down the corridor and then they see the Bellas for the first time in their flight, like their perfect kind of outfits, completely different to the trebles. Like the trebles have gone quite modern in a sense. Yeah. And then the Bellas look quite traditional in, in these to me, it almost feels like sort of 1960s, 50s kind of flight attendant outfits. Yeah, I, I think pretty sure that's what how it's even described in like the script. If if anybody has like gone through a read through. But I think that's pretty much how it's described, like a uh, flight attendant. <laughs> Whoever that's... decided that's the look they wanted to go for, I don't know. But like... <laughs> I mean, you know, how do you even decide how you're going to dress? Like, how do you decide, like, yes, this is the uniform that we're going to, this is how we're going to emulate ourselves <laughs> as we sing and choreograph, choreograph music with our mouths. How do they get to that decision? The Bellas, we're going to be flight attendants. Like, that is the look. 
it is a look. It's a, it's a choice. Not that it doesn't look good. It's, it's a, it looks good, but a snore is what <laughs> I believe is what uh, John and Gil say. Yeah, it's quite interesting because between the two, you get like chalk and cheese between what the trebles are doing and the ballads are doing. There's mm -hmm. like a very clear difference between the two of them. You can tell that in the outfits and the song choice. And I'm sure that's what they were going for too, is uh, yeah. just to show that their routine is tired and that they've just, you, you can't redo the same thing every year and expect, isn't there some kind of saying for that gosh I see, yeah it's definition of insanity doing yes. the same thing and expecting yes. a different result or something like that yeah 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 that's kind of what it makes me think of but one thing that you mentioned was those little inklings you get with chloe and aubrey at the beginning because i think that's very interesting it's not something that i think you notice the first time you watch because there's a lot happening the first time you watch the movie like there's lots of things you're picking up but like Going back and rewatching the opening, I was amazed at the little things that you notice between especially Chloe and Aubrey and Alice in that scene that kind of really tells a lot. And especially the earnestness of Chloe and Aubrey, like, yeah, there's just something in those little moments, those little things that they choose to do that just kind of really show that they want this, like they want to prove themselves that they, they're trying so hard like chloe you just see how much she's like really trying and then alice just like knocks her down so many pegs so many pegs and it makes you feel bad for them and it's it's interesting to like when you go back and you watch it and you notice the little glances that aubrey and chloe share you know i feel like i want to feel like that some of those looks could be comforting towards each other just because that both of them pretty much got told off. I think that's really interesting though, because it wasn't till rewatching it that you appreciate the amount of little glances that they share. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was preparing an episode about Chawbrey or Corbrey that watching that scene again, I was like, for me, that's one of the key Chawbrey scenes. Like yes. and for me it was Chloe looking at Aubrey and being like, are you okay? Just yeah. in a, like, there's like two or three times where it happens. And it's like, she knows what could happen as she's checking on Aubrey. Yes, exactly. That's, that's definitely a, a key scene for me as well. Like a, that I come back to for inspiration or just, just because, because I really enjoy just the little looks, the, the little looks of reassurance or, you know, like you said, are you okay? Well, there's the one when just before Aubrey sings, she looks over or Chloe, like, yeah. there's a, and it's like, you've got this. Yeah. yeah, there's like a glut and you're just like, oh, like, <laughs> so soft. We then takes us to Aubrey because knowing what happens, I think when you rewatch the first scene, it tells so much because Aubrey is so like, she She's wants to do so, this. She, she wants to do it so bad, but she, you can tell that she is like, full of anxiety like even just before she sings I remember like watching her and like feeling like I was the one up there like I my palms were sweating I was uh, my heart was palpitating like I had sympathy but anxiety for her it's so, so like yeah it, there's something especially when you know what's about to happen and you yeah. feel so bad for her because she clearly wants to prove to Alice that she can do this like they're ready to take this on and to carry on the Bellas after the season. And like, she's got this opportunity to do this solo. 
the fact that Alice lays into her as well just beforehand, like she knows there's a lot on this and maybe this is her first time properly giving a solo, that like it's yeah. all there and you're just like, oh, oh, great. Which, by the way, if you want somebody to do well, you probably shouldn't <laughs> treat them like garbage. Gas them up. Like, <laughs> be encouraging. If you don't want them to mess up, please don't ever <laughs> treat them like that. <laughs> I think uh, especially because Aubrey's response is, like, the quote from her father. If at first you don't succeed, get the get the hell out of Kuwait. Yeah. She has these kind of words of encouragement that obviously mean something to her that yeah. help her and they just get knocked down and yeah just, i think alice says oh. something like did your dad also tell you to shut up and i'm like oh god <laughs> you kind of like, like want to punch alice in the face I know. we only get alice in this one scene of the movie but her effect on aubrey is felt for quite a long time <laughs> and it's like it sets you up for like future scenes with aubrey a part the reason why, she, why she's probably so like high strung she wants to prove herself as a as a leader she doesn't want to prove alice right that she's you know not fit to be a leader i think it's quite interesting as well because um we don't know how long alice was leader of the bellas but if that's the leader before you like that's your example of what makes you wonder yeah who was the leader before Alice, who who taught Alice. You know, it's always a cycle with things like that, I feel like. You kind of build off of what you've been taught. And so, like, it, yeah, it does make you sort of think, what was it like under Alice's regime or anything like that? Because going back, and I think it's quite interesting to see how creators or something have then, when they do write about Aubrey or Chloe's experience in the Bellas, how they choose to depict Alice or how they choose their experience to go. And it's not always the most positive experience. I know. I have. I actually wrote a Chabri fic or a Chabri fic, whatever you want to. Chabri, Chabri. <laughs> with Alice in it. And I definitely did not depict her in a good light. So. I don't think you can, though. I know. I wouldn't. I mean, I, I guess if you want, like, because she's like literally her character is you just get one scene so you could pretty much come up with whatever you wanted like you could give her a reason like her let's call it an evil villain backstory for maybe a part of why she is the way she is just like you know aubrey's dad is a d-bag so just like you find out that way like if if you decided to delve into her you know create a whole world for her you could maybe give her a redemption arc or something I mean, as is, you really, I don't know how you would depict her as anything but what she is, which is not nice. Yeah, and, and like part of you wonders to know, is part of this the stress of being at the finals? And, and clearly this means something to Alice, like she wants to win. It kind of gives you, especially with Bumper coming out off stage and what he says to the Bella is like, there is this whole sense of even though this is just college acapella, this competition is important and it's it means a lot. To them. Yeah. <laughs> it's valid. I mean, it's important to them and that's what matters. Like it's almost kind of just kind of letting you know that this is almost as important as say college football or sport. And it's kind of interesting speaking to people who have done college acapella that it does mean that much. Um, and yet we don't necessarily recognize it as much as say like college sport is recognized. It also reflected in like the audience and they're there with their like big signs about acapella and stuff like yeah. they're fans of these groups and they really get into Which, it. 
I know there's signs for the trebles. There's also, uh, I think there was a sign for the Bellas, too. I think it said, like, Bellas for life. But I could be wrong. I could be getting that mixed up. Like I said, I have a terrible memory. I just remember, like, key scenes. Like you said, there are uh, signs for them, which honestly is cool. Because, I mean, you know, if I was in college and I found out about it, I would definitely be a fan. I would be in the crowd pulling up a sign. I know. I mean, like, there wasn't really an acapella scene in my uni, but, like, I kind of wish there was at one point. You'd be like, oh, that would be cool. That would be, like... You could have been a fan or you could have joined. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> as much I as I'd wish I can sing. I, I would have tried to join. <laughs> But, but you can I, sing, Holly. That's it. And only sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would have tried to join. Yeah, but I just did. like how big it was in this sphere, suddenly you kind of get an idea of what it means to them, and suddenly you kind of appreciate. <laughs> Obviously, Alice is stressed with wanting to win, and she kind of then lays into these two <laughs> Chloe, she Paul, Chloe, and Aubrey. Like, yeah, none of the others. I was gonna say it makes you wonder how she treats the others though like is it just does she like literally hate them for some odd reason or does she a b word to everybody else too it just makes me wonder how she treats everybody else like does she even have friends it is shocking though because obviously we don't know how many of the brothers planned to stay on if they were all seniors but like it's very clear her disdain for Chloe and Aubrey and yet she doesn't seem to have had any other choice because they were going to be the next leaders. Yeah, because they were the next in line. Yeah. Because it's kind of them by default. So it gives you the impression that all the others were going to graduate. I don't know if that's the case. Unless you felt that you didn't like any of them and these two were like the best out of a bad bunch, you had no other choice than having them as captains. Or, you know, it's just what the script said. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, something the that they decided to glaze over which then leads us into uh, the song i saw the start off really strong that's how i always start off with fakes you start off strong and then it goes downhill <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting because obviously they're gonna sing i saw the sign i mean I, I did an episode on this already but like it's not a song that i would have chosen to sing it's not a song that i necessarily not enjoy that much but it's a it's a classic it's okay. song yeah. but it's not it's not a song that you would choose for, like, winning a competition. No. <laughs> Unless you put some kind of big twist on it. But even then, that's kind of pushing it. That's not something I would have chose for sure for winning a competition. But, I mean, like I said, it's a classic song. It's a good karaoke song. But I don't <laughs> think it's a good uh, song that you choose to win a competition. We get to hear the whole set later on in the film. So we get to yeah. hear the three songs that they had picked to go with it and they're all very similar but obviously we only get to see the sign in this first section of the movie yeah i think the sign is clear that they needed to uh pick a different song well clearly aubrey was looking for the sign yeah, <laughs> like... went straight past it though <laughs> and i think what also helps is the fact that it is so different from the treble song like the trebles come in with this big boom number and be like oh we're here this is beginning of pitch perfect and then you get the sign and it's like, oh, wow, this is like it, completely different. Yeah. And their choreography is like so like, I don't know the right word, like demur, demur. But it's just so just blah, you know, it's it's very simple. I think when you watch it, I got this impression it's very prim and proper. I mean, their outfits are very perfect in a sense. Yeah. Their hair is styled a certain way. They all look relatively the same. 
And then everything is so clean cut and to a certain perfection. It's just such a big difference. Like, I mean, definitely, like you said, clean cut from a proper, but I just, I can't get over how, like, like you said, the trebles came out, come out with this big number and their dance moves are, you know, they're kind of like, I don't want to say wild, but like out there, you know, they're more in your face in a good yeah. way. I don't know, like, part of me sometimes thinks with the Bella's number, there wasn't a lot of heart with it. Like, you don't get a lot of Bella personality with their number because it is so regimented. Whereas the Trebles, you get a good sense of who they are. Just from watching that first number, you get a good idea of who Bumper Allen is. Like, and, you know, they know they're good. They enjoy it. Yeah. And you can see it in all of them, too. In the way that they move, how in sync they are, that you could just tell that they really put a lot of work into it. And I'm not saying that the, you know, these Bellas didn't put a lot of work into theirs, but it's just like, it's so tired that that they're tired. It, it just seems like that they're tired of it too. It, yeah, it doesn't feel like their <laughs> heart is as much into it. Because you don't get to see that. They're so concentrated on making sure the moves are perfect and everything else that you don't get to see them enjoying. Fake. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good way of using it's it. It's fake, I think. Like you wouldn't know if they were enjoying it because they couldn't show you in their performance. Right. And you can really tell that, you know, the Trebles are just living their best life. <laughs> Girls are, are running up to the stage. I mean, who, like, <laughs> they yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It, you can just tell that they're just really enjoying themselves. They're having a good time. Like they're not just there to win the competition. I mean, they are there to win the competition, but it, it seems like they're there to have a good time too. Like, you know, they're, they're not, this isn't some kind of, this isn't their job. That's what it kind of seems like for the Bellas. Like, this is their job and they have to do a good job or, you know, consequences. <laughs> consequences. <that> consequences. <laughs> it's quite interesting as well, because when I was looking at the book that the film is based on, it does talk about this whole idea of like, some groups are genuinely treated like rock stars, these followings that they get. And you do get that sense with the trebles that they know they're good. They know where they're at and they kind of really enjoy and embrace that whole experience. And I don't know about the ballads, but like, it's just kind of interesting how that's reflected. Yeah. I, I think if the trebles were real, they would have the same, probably kind of like the same following as that one group that I can't, it starts with a P and I, can't think of pentatonics pentatonics yeah pentatonics yeah yeah i feel like they have that kind of same energy when it comes to like fans so we're watching the movie and the song has started alice is singing and then the mic gets passed over to aubrey and that's when my heart starts to beat (laughs) faster and you already know she's nervous we've seen the little glances we've seen how hard she's tried to like just let Alice know that she's got this. The little glances from Chloe, which are like a little bit nervous, just checking in, making sure she's okay. Aubrey gets the microphone and she starts to sing. So you start off good and then you just go downhill. <laughs> we get to Pukegate, okay? Yep. <laughs> like, when this first happened, what was your reaction? Well, see, I used to be like hardcore. I used to have that phobia of like vomit. I mean, I still kind of do, but um, oh, no. <laughs> like it used to be so bad that like just even hearing it on TV, I would get like, I would like almost pass out. Like I would get like black dots in front of my eyes. I'd sweat profusely, break out into a cold sweat. I was like immediately brought back to uh, a third grade pageant, fourth grade pageant, Christmas pageant. Somebody puked behind me in the bleachers while we were singing. 
just ruined ruined pageants for me because like I've loved to sing since I was a kid so I, I like really enjoyed Christmas pageant and stuff like that but like I was immediately brought back to that and I was like oh no thankfully like I, I had gotten over my phobia in a sense that I could like see it on TV and it would bother me so I was just like oh my god how, how does somebody how do, how do you how does so much like how do you, does that even exist in a person like I feel like she threw up everything she's ever eaten in her entire life and I just, is that even possible? Can people do that? <laughs> I just, I was blown away. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is happening. This, this is not good. And then I was like, God, I felt bad for her because how embarrassing. How I would never be able to, like, I would just, I would pass away immediately. <laughs> just deceased right there. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I remember seeing it for the first time and everything's although there's the quirky bits you don't really get that hit until puke the puke gate happens and then suddenly you're just like bam okay this this is different like like yeah it's definitely not something to that i was expecting i, I don't was, think there's any way that you could have expected that that was going to happen it's true i mean Sure, you could probably expect somebody to like get so nervous that they throw up on stage, but that was like at a level that should not exist. Like, I'm pretty sure that reached the third or fourth row of in the audience. That was, Does, yeah. Don't they make like a comment of it being oh, it's all over? You know, the I think they, yeah, I think they did. I mean, that's a talent in itself. Like, true, but I don't think it's something that one should be proud of. <laughs> Unfortunate, really. Yeah. <laughs> But it's, it's suddenly that kind of like, oh, wow, this is, it keeps you completely by surprise. And then it's just like, okay, you have my attention now. Like, if you did it before, you definitely do now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was definitely thrown <laughs> off guard by it. I didn't even think about that. But like, if you had had a bad experience in the past with something similar, like that's a little bit like, that's pretty close to home. Like, I, I was like, oh, okay, well, I've been there. I understand. Like, not directly, but indirectly. I've been there. I never went to another pet. I never, I always got out of them. I was like, I can't do this. Bye. <laughs> I like, I enjoyed the practices. I would go to the practices, but I would never go to the pageants. Even if they were a part of the grade, I was like, mm, peace out. Um, <laughs> I can't do it. I just had this fear. It was like PTSD almost. I eventually got over it. I think I did one in mid middle school for like high school musical. I had like one singing part solo that I like locked out. But thankfully I was over that phobia to the point where I could, you know, like I said, uh, see it on TV. So <laughs> sit terrible. Yeah, can you imagine if like... You oh my God, I would have been into like a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> just would have blacked out right there <laughs> it would be worse because it's like yeah there's no way that you could have anticipated it and then it would have just the like you said the amount of vomit that comes out of her mouth is so much. Like, it does make you wonder what was Aubrey eating before like you know I also want to know I also want to know how they really even like a god poor camp can you imagine the nastiness that they like I think I'm trying I think they mix up like peas and um something else like i'm i, I feel like i i read it or i listened to an er interview one time about what they how they like mix puke make it look realistic <laughs> they have to hold it in their mouth yeah but i don't know if she held that much in her mouth but she no, held i mean obviously that was probably cgi <laughs> but still <laughs> god for camp <laughs> 
<laughs> Don't they mention though about there being a vomit mic? I'm pretty sure in some of the interviews they talk about the fact that there, this one mic that was used in that scene was called the vomit mic because it smelt so bad. God, I bet. Ugh. And like they would then whoever had like uh, I can't remember who was talking. I'm going to find it, but like there's there's a, an interview where one of them talks about having the vomit mic. And they're like, "What is smelling?" And they realise that it's because they've got the vomit mic. <laughs> <laughs> gross <laughs> oh no <laughs> uh the vomit mic <laughs> really sad that you have to like a dub a piece of equipment the vomit mic <laughs> they probably threw it away after the movie like this can never be used again like <laughs> this is tarnished you never know maybe maybe camp stole it and was just like this is my vomit mic. <laughs> this is a, this is my vomit mic this was Aubrey's. Over here, you'll see my vomit mic. <laughs> I think she uh, she's had to do a lot of uh, scenes where she vomits in different shows. It's quite funny because I saw during uh, like last year, she was doing a few like live interviews on Instagram and stuff, and she does make a comment about the fact that she's a little bit worried about the reputation that she's getting because she vomits in a lot of films. I can't remember how many she mentioned, but there was Pitch Perfect and Here A While that she had done. And there's another film where she does it as well. And she's like, you know, I don't want to get this reputation. She that she knows how many times it's been done though. <laughs> I wonder how many t takes it took to get the scene though. Oh, I dread to think. I forget there's another whole scene, though, where she has to vomit, too, which is, you know, uh, towards the end of the movie. And that's a lot of puke, too. <laughs> that is a lot of puke. <laughs> I remember uh, an interview that said that uh, it smelled terrible. Ugh. I mean, at least it's coming out of her. Like, I dread to think the audience, they get shot with <laughs> this stuff. <laughs> like, how many takes that would have would have taken? You have to clean them all down again and try again. Uh, Hopefully it was a, a one take shot. I feel like one time would be enough for me. I'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to peace out. You guys can handle this. At least nobody apart from Lily has to then do a snow angel in. Oh, <laughs> a puke angel. Oh, I, I was very, I was horrified by that, by that scene. Poor Hannah May having to do that. Ugh. That's one bit that makes me cringe when I watch it. Just like, oh. me too. I have to look away. I'm just like, this is... Uh, I can't imagine. And I think because of the type of character Aubrey is, I mean, you, you obviously you don't know the character that well, but you do get this, you know, she is very prim and proper and the kind of earnestness that she's got into this with. And then the fact that she's projector vomiting. I, I don't want to say out of character, but it's so different from what you've seen of her to this mm. person that's like on stage and just vomiting out. I think it has a lot to do with control. I just can't imagine... Like I said, I just can't imagine the kind of like uh, embarrassment. I'd like to think about after that scene. Like I like to imagine what what would happen after that. I mean, obviously she'd probably hide in the bathroom because that's what I would do. It is so sad though because obviously the clip ends with her kind of her face and just the distraught yes. face that she's got. I mean, because like when I watch it and you do generally think, how would I react? Because like you said, this is horrific. Like for this to happen on the stage at this big competition, there's a, an of audience of people, people online yeah. recording. It's recorded and put on YouTube or, or yeah. wherever, and you're just like, oh my word! Like it's horrible to think about. No, just you'd have to move to 
freaking Antarctica. Change your name. Your name's no longer Aubrey Posen. It's Audrey. Probiosen. <laughs> yeah, something, something different. Like I just, I would not even like. I would have given up. Uh, I mean, I that just goes to show her character strength. Her character strength that she didn't give up after that because I would have, I would have just thrown in the towel. I yeah. would. At the very least, probably not have gone back to the balance. Like, no. Yeah, the idea of showing your face again after what's happened, I don't know if I could have done it. No. But, like, that just really does show the kind of character that she is, how strong she is as a person to be able to just come back from that, to pick herself up and be like, well, I'm going to do better. Definitely. That just shows true perseverance there because. And it's interesting because from that scene, you get the horrific views of the audience and, and John and Gail and the Bellas and Aubrey's kind of on her own. And, and you only get, you kind of see Chloe's reaction at being the friend and like her distraught face. And it's not until a little bit later when you see the clip from the YouTube that you see Chloe running over and Chloe's literally the only one who goes and consoles exactly Aubrey. like nobody else like none of the other bears go anywhere near her which okay yeah she's just vomited so maybe you don't want to but like yeah, but show some empathy yeah, yeah like this is your teammate and this this horrific thing has happened and like chloe's the only one and, and like you said it makes me think aubrey's probably frozen on stage like what do you do and and like i know i always have this idea you know chloe kind of coaxing her off and just going to the bathroom or something clean her up yeah yeah i do picture that in my head like uh sometimes i picture it that way or sometimes i kind of like think about like if she had run off the stage some you know because i would i would be crying well that's not true the phobia i probably would have passed out i just it's just interesting to think and it's it shows the difference between those bellas and then the bellas the camaraderie and the fact that the previous Bellas don't seem close at all because automatically you know that the, you know, like our Bellas, they all would have, you know, they all would have come up and, you know, shown concern. Yeah, that's really interesting. And like, even before that, just from watching them off stage, like you didn't really get a lot of a team atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, it was only between Aubrey and Chloe that you got any sense of that. Yeah, any kind of friendship, any kind of teammate, you don't really get that. Like I said, it just kind of seems like they're just there. But I find it interesting, the differences between those Bellas and then our Bellas. Yeah, there's like no heart. Yes. There. Yeah. I do. I find that really interesting. Just a good comparison. That's such an interesting thing to notice. And I think it's quite important because I think that's a big factor of what really gets brought with the new Bellas and talking to the few people that I've known and with my interview with my cousin who does acapella is those who really fall in love with it. It's because of those bonds that they get and these friendships that they create that really kind of makes this special. And Mm. I know watching the movie for myself, like... The whole idea that you could have a friendship group out of something that you enjoy doing, like, I would love that. That's so yeah, cool. Like, I know that's such. It's such a. It's so heartwarming to think about. Really, I would love that. I do. I would. I suppose that's why it works so well at the beginning because they don't have that, and that's the big thing I think throughout the movies is the fact that these Bellas create such firm bonds with each other and you know when they do have their ups and downs when it's in the second movie or the third movie like 
they kind of band together to like overcome it. It's just like, oh, this is so good. I was like, yes, I love it. The sisterhood that they get and the heart that they get. And it doesn't start off that way. I feel like. No. Cause you know, like it, it, you kind of see it after they do the riff off where Becca's like, you know, we really did something there. And that's where you kind of see like the potential that they could have. But it's interesting because from our talk today, it does make you wonder, like, maybe Chloe and Aubrey hadn't experienced that before in their previous Bellas, if the leadership that they've gone through, like what we've seen from previous Bellas at this performance, at the final, and the fact that they didn't seem to be that close friends or anything like that, that wasn't until everything went wrong for Aubrey later on in the film that they kind of have that moment where they're like, okay, maybe we should get to know each other a little bit better and talk to each other and get to know who each other are like. That the whole idea of building up that team atmosphere or that kind of sisterhood, you don't really get that before. And it's kind of interesting to think about. I feel like that what really makes makes it all really good is like you said the heart and the the friendship because you know if you're having fun together then it's going to be that much better i really think that i mean if you're just there to do it just because it just doesn't seem that good and you can always tell when somebody's singing and they they just put their heart their whole heart into it i guess you can always tell and you get that from the just in that beginning with the difference between yeah. the trebles and the ballads and like the trebles clearly really enjoy what they're doing and they enjoy where they're at. It comes across in their, like you said, the body language and, and what they're doing on stage and yes. the, the way they sing. Exactly. Pukegate is the bit that kind of sets the stage for what happens for the rest of the movie. It's kind of interesting when I speak to Rabinar because she talked about the fact that this moment would have been really traumatic and probably kind of led into a lot of the ways that Aubrey have reacted later on in the film with the kind of trauma of what had happened oh, yeah. on stage. I'm sure she probably had some form of PTSD. Yeah. I mean, if they really, if they really, like, if this wasn't supposed to be some kind of, like, a comedy, dramedy kind of thing, I would imagine that Aubrey would have some kind of PTSD, just like I, you know, little, little me did. If you really thought about it, like, just the mental trauma from that. I I couldn't imagine that. And it's quite cool because although the movie is centred a lot around Becca, the first two characters that get introduced to that stick really is Chloe and Aubrey. And Mm -hmm. you do get, especially I think with Aubrey, this whole other storyline that kind of goes through in her trying to redeem herself from this moment. Like this is really what it comes down to is this doesn't happen in a regional or a semi-final. This happens at the final, like... Trying to redeem yourself from that moment is going to be real tough. I just can't. I I wouldn't be able to do it because, I mean, just the thought of it would be so daunting because that's a big hurdle. That's such a big hurdle to get over, especially with if you really put the thought into the emotional response that she would have to that because it just really does show how stubborn she truly is. (laughs) But I think also just like just how haunting that moment has that she has to kind of overcome uh, yeah, for a big factor of the movie to to sort of work through is this mountain that Aubrey Pose is trying to get over. I feel like having Chloe there probably, you know, because she didn't leave her. Chloe mm. could have just been like, okay, I can't, you know, because, you know, she could have been like, this is a lot. Nobody's going to join. But she's ever the optimist, you know. You know, we'll get people. We'll People will join. So oh, I think- Yeah, I think you needed a Chloe. 
I feel like without Chloe, uh, it might have been much more. Maybe she would have given up. Or she could have become more unhinged as well. Like without having that tether of just some, she might not have listened to Chloe a lot or uh, agreed, but just having that tether of just trying to keep to a level, like don't, you know, there's moments where she almost kind of loses it with the ballads and Chloe's like, look, okay, calm down. Like <laughs> this is okay. Yeah, I think so too. Might've not always treated Chloe the best, but. We don't. Uh, we also don't really see, you know, too many scenes of them being friends. We're just, you know, we're kind of expected to assume that they are. It is really though. It is literally like those little moments of eye contact because it makes you think that Chloe knows what could happen or how bad this could be because she knows how bad Aubrey's anxiety or stress is and that it could lead to the vomiting when she's like, just those little eye contacts like, you okay? And she's like, yeah, I've got this. We're going to be okay. And then just before she sings you see it again and and so like it's really endearing to kind of think that she knew and it's like she's just like these little checks yeah. even though it didn't work out and Aubrey did throw up everywhere you didn't need a lot to kind of get an idea that there was some closeness there and then the fact that she is the only one that goes up to Aubrey like Chloe has this this sense of empathy that she has uh, or care of others that comes through just just from those little moments. Exactly. Like, yeah, those are the, and that, those are really the only moments that you get that they, that we're just, just supposed to be like, well, okay, I guess they're friends or they're <laughs> close. I mean, there are a few other scenes later on, obviously, but that's when you really do get the first glimpse. So like literally that five, 10 minute scene sets you up for the rest of the movie. And I appreciate yeah. you kind of joining me today that we've managed to it's go on for like a good while on this scene that's just I'm, literally like, welcome to Pitch Perfect. I'm surprised at myself. Yeah, but I, it's been fun, really. I mean, obviously, because I'm talking about something that I really enjoy. So, well, thank you so much for joining me on this episode today. Um, just for those who want to, if they wanted to check you out, contact you or like find your stuff, where can they do that? Uh, you can just contact me on Tumblr, Incredible. Um, please talk to me. <laughs> say hi <laughs> and that you've got some uh, of your work up there on tumblr yeah and there's a link to my ao3 account and my fanfiction.net account which i rarely ever get on anymore i'm mostly just on ao3 but if you wanted to search the ao3 without going to tumblr it's it's misty gay with a with a two y's at the end okay cool so, but you should be able to i think there's a link on my tumblr for it so if you can't find it, you can just find it on Tumblr. But there's also there's also some one shots and stuff on my Tumblr and on my archive blog. Awesome. So yeah, if you head over to a credible on Tumblr, you can find kind of links to everything and it's kind of all there. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Like I said, I'm incredibly honored. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, thank really. you. It's amazing that like literally we have been speaking around a 10 minute scene. But, I like, know, and it doesn't even feel like it's been that long. I know, right? <laughs> I do want to, it makes me want to go and watch the rest of the movie now. Me like, too. I feel like I need to go like just watch every all of it now. And of course our fan fiction highlights. There's so much stuff out there at the moment to kind of delve into. It's so difficult to just pick out a few because so many of you are writing some amazing things. I can't keep up. It's amazing. Starting off with a fic called Soulmates by 
Ezra J. Clarke on AO3. The summary says, Curvasive black lettering had been looped and carved into Becca Mitchell's skin. A capital B. It's been there from day one and grown with her from childhood and through adolescence. It stared at her every day. She didn't wear sleeves and stood as the reason she chose sleeves often. With sleeves, she could pretend it didn't exist. Like she'd never gotten a tattoo at all. As if she didn't have a soulmate. Since her parents' divorce, she'd decided she'd be better off without one. Soulmates didn't mean happiness, and she wouldn't be swept into the ball. Two halves of a whole theory that everyone else gushed over. She knew better. Now, if anybody knows me, they will know that I am a sucker for a good soulmate story. And not only is this a great multi-chapter soulmate story, but it's also a triple-treble multi-chapter soulmate story. It's been a while since I've really hooked into a good triple-treble story and a multi-chapter story at that. So when I saw this one pop up, I was so excited. I just had to kind of like delve into it and really get in there. The writer has already like banged out a load of chapters and I'm just like obsessed. And this is all set in and around Pitch Perfect 1. It kind of follows similar to the storyline of Pitch Perfect 1 with a few little twists. As with Triple Trouble, it's Becca, Chloe and Aubrey relationship. But Chloe and Aubrey are already in a relationship. They already found each other and their soulmate tattoos matched. So they are already an established couple. And then you've got Becca and she's stepsisters with Stacy. So it's really cool to see a Becca and Stacy like friendship that's already pretty well established. And they're roommates in their freshman year at Baden. When I kind of saw the summary and you kind of delve into the story, it's interesting because a lot of times Becca, she doesn't want a relationship or something like that. And she's kind of sets back and she's the broody kind of loner, which is the same in this story. But you have got Stacey there to kind of settle that a little bit. And that's quite fun as well to read because you get the kind of friendship banter and also them being sisters that kind of adds a little banter to it as well. The fact that Becca's got someone that she can relate to and probably knows about her fears and experiences more than anybody else because of them being so close as stepsisters. But at the same time, it means that like Stacy can at least push Becca a little bit out of her comfort zone. Because Stacy knows about Becca's fears and everything like that, she's a little bit sneaky sometimes and just kind of like nudging Becca in the right direction. It's really interesting seeing the way Becca handles the situation when she first meets Chloe and Aubrey to recognising and seeing their tattoos to how then she wants to play that out because she knows what her tattoo looks like but as it says in the summary she often hides it and you get to have the activities fair and the shower scene obviously through these little interactions Becca comes to realise that those two are soulmates. Chloe and Aubrey are a couple, they're a soulmate couple, and she recognises their tattoos and the fact that they match her own. And it kind of gives her this whole amount of fear, not just, I think, 
she doesn't like the idea of soulmates, which happens quite often, I think, when I've read similar stories to this one, how writers choose to depict the divorce with her parents and the fact that maybe they got together and weren't soulmates and one of them met their soulmate and that's how they got divorced and how that really upsets Becca and her perception of what a soulmate is. But this one kind of adds a new layer to it just for the fact that because it's a triple treble story and Chloe and Aubrey are already together, Becca then has this whole other fear that she doesn't want to be like her father. And because there's already an established couple there, her revealing who she is and her soulmate tattoo is going to pull Aubrey and Chloe apart. That she's going to become like a father and break up a happy couple. And, and so all these fears are swirling around in Becca's head, which means it kind of dictates a lot of her actions. And you see like fighting with everything and not sure how to react and almost causing herself harm number one that she's fearful of even having a soulmate and then number two that she could be the other woman to an already happy relationship so like all these things are going on and at the same time for a lot of the story chloe and aubrey don't know that Beck is their soulmate because they haven't seen the tattoo. So like they just feel like drawn to this other person and they don't know why. And then like all this happens and it's so interesting to kind of see how it all plays out and the care that like Aubrey and Chloe have for Becca, even when they don't know that she's their soulmate is so sweet. It's just like, oh, this is amazing. And like how it slowly coaxes Becca out of her shell. So good. If you are a fan of Triple Treble, I have been really enjoying this story. It's not finished yet. I'm really looking forward to it. It's been well worth it so far and I'm excited for more. I didn't realise how long it had been since I've had like a really good Triple Treble story to delve into. And so this one just got me well excited. The next story on my highlight list this week is Local Long Distance Relationship by Becca's Belt. It's on AO3 and the summary says... Becca hates discussion posts and online classes and school in general, but this cute girl who keeps commenting on her posts seems pretty alright. A story in which Becca and Chloe flirt over discussion posts. It's such like a simple and cute summary. I was kind of really intrigued when I read it and I think although it's not set in and around the pandemic, I really like the idea of taking something that a lot of people are dealing with at the moment with online classes and studying online and some of the difficulties of that and then putting that in a thick and how that could play out for a character. So a lot of the story is from Becca's perspective, which I've really enjoyed because you get Becca's disdain for online learning and it kind of goes through some of the difficulties that you have whether it's, you know, catching up with lectures, but then the workload that they're given with these discussion posts and how they're expected to contribute to the class and everything, the monotony of doing online classes that Becca's finding in this situation. And so she's kind of got a flow that she's been doing. And what I really love about this as well is just the fact that I think a lot of people kind of get into that rhythm with something like online classes or online learning. I haven't had to do a lot of it, but I've done like a little bit. And there's just like things that you pick up as just being 
this is how you act. Like, this is what you do. And of course, Chloe Beale is one of those people who just throws that all out the window when she wants to. And this just seems like one of those moments. Becca is caught totally off guard with somebody commenting on her discussion posts and even strike up a conversation. You know, why would you do that? I just want to keep your head down and get on with your work and carry on as normal. And so Chloe disrupting the rhythm of that really catches Becca off guard, but in such a good way. And what it then leads to is because Becca's so curious and doesn't quite know how to respond, she just kind of mirrors it back in a kind of an awkward way. And it's really cute because at the beginning, they don't know what each other look like. And it's not until Becca delves a little further in that she's able to see a picture of Chloe and and suddenly like, oh, wait, this is actually a nice looking girl that's, I think, is flirting with me on a discussion post, but I'm not entirely sure. And this just builds up through this one shot of them slowly flirting. And it's quite sweet just for the fact that Becca's already awkward trying to flirt back over discussion posts. It just makes me think that if this was in real life, that she would be even more awkward. So you then catch Becca probably in a safer space where she feels a little bit more open to try and flirt than she would do in real life. She gives you confidence if you can't flirt like me. (laughs) That maybe, you know, maybe there's hope for everybody. And just reading through the story of how it slowly picks up and grows from these little interactions that they have is really, really sweet. And I really enjoyed reading the story. It does kind of make me a little bit intrigued to know what Chloe's reaction was on the other side to prompt her to, like, strike up these conversations, to keep it going, especially at first when she didn't know what Becca looked like. Like, when did that progress for her? And all these thoughts just kind of run through my head as I'm reading it. So good. And the final story for our fan fiction highlights this week is a story called To Live and Love in Pemberley Valley by Snowflake19. This is on AO3. Now, this story has been around for a while and it's one of those where I saw the summary and I was like, this looks so intriguing. But I'm going to hold off because... I know that when I start this, I am going to want to read all of it in one go. And I don't know if I can like hold out for chapters all the time. So I kind of held off until the whole story was up, which took a while because like it's been flying around there. This is like a good 30 chapters. So it pops up a lot when I was like looking through the timeline. I was so intrigued because of the summary of this story. And it is like a good chapter long fic for you to delve into the summary says victorian au rebecca mitchell appears to be the perfect lady respected parents in a respectable profession wealth impeccable manners and an air of something she can't quite lay her finger on she's also engaged to chloe's brother by their parents design but if there is one thing chloe is bound to learn it is that Rebecca Mitchell follows only her own path. Now, I'm not like the biggest lover of historical dramas, but like every now and then I can get into them and it's like good and enjoyable. But like I've seen a few Pride and Prejudice things and Jane Austen things. And I, I, I will admit I'm not a big Jane Austen fan, but 
when I saw this and I was like, I wonder how they're going to pull this together because you're taking these characters which are very modern and chucking them into a period piece. Delving into just the first few chapters, it amazed me of just how well the writer was able to kind of chuck you into the Victorian era. Like, the way they set up the scene and how they'd kind of created this little universe that you could really imagine these households in the Victorian era and the politics and expectations put on these kids, the little village or town that everything plays out in and the different roles of some of the characters. And I thought it was so clever how they had placed some of the characters' roles and how that all laid out, like which ones were the respectable families, which ones weren't. And just some of the little things like Becca's household is on the opposite end of the town to Chloe's. And I loved how much the writerhood really took some period Victorian aspects of like maybe how women were treated at that time period, relationships and marriage and like how that all played out and really stuck to those designs or try and twist it a little bit to give you a sense of where these characters were at or even like how some of them played a little bit against the rules. And you get this all from Chloe's perspective. So you're really following the story with Chloe And she's in this really strict household where her parents make a lot of the calls. And while she doesn't always agree with them, she kind of is stuck or she feels stuck in this situation that she's in. Tries to make the best of the situation as it is. And then you get Becca Mitchell coming in. Or Rebecca Mitchell, as she's called a lot in the story, especially at the beginning. Becca throwed me off at the beginning. Often Becca is the one who's the more unsure one or doesn't quite... You know, she's learning from other people. But in this story, she's the more sure character or she knows what she wants. But also she's so aware of these social expectations and people around her that she's so good at playing her part, but also playing people to get what she wants or to live the freedom that she wants in and around other people. So like... It's so interesting how this plays out. And you get an idea that Becca's quite a calculated mind. She knows, especially maybe the older generation, on what they think and what their expectations are. And she knows when to play into it or when to not play into it. How to play around that as well to live her own life. And it's a really interesting kind of mix because from Chloe's perspective... She's having to pick this up piece by piece as Becca slowly reveals who she is. And when they get more comfortable with each other, suddenly the person that Chloe thought was this very respectable lady that came from a very wealthy family and was very well regarded and apparently never did anything wrong, behind the scenes is a very different person. It's so intriguing. And like, it really does keep you in that Victorian era. It's so clever how they do it. And it's so sweet as well, because I think it could be so difficult to do a period piece with a gay storyline, because let's be fair, like that wasn't as common a thing. So there's some really, really sweet moments playing around with what was and wasn't acceptable and how these two characters are just as shocked or surprised sometimes at actions that 
nowadays would seem very normal. There's a scene when Chloe goes to visit Becca at her house and they have like tea and they walk around a garden and because of their big dresses, Becca offers to take Chloe's shoe off and she accidentally like lets her hand too high that it touches Chloe's calf, which like nowadays probably wouldn't seem that big of a deal, but at the time was like, you just don't do that. Little moments like that where like it embarrasses not just one character, but both characters in different ways and like what is and isn't okay, especially trying to feel out their feelings in a society when that wasn't normal. And so like, it's so intriguing and I just totally enjoyed it. There's a lot of heart there. And and also just there's so many little storylines going along around these two characters. You've got Chloe's brother, Luke, and Aubrey Posen. I thought it was so good that she's like the pastor's daughter. That was such a clever place to put that character. And then you've also got Jesse, who has a really interesting kind of sideline as well. So like amongst these two favourite characters where you get to have a love story play out, you also then have all these other side plots going on. And it's very intriguing to see how they're all interwoven. And so, yeah, it was just a load of fun. And I totally enjoyed it something completely different than what I usually read and I totally loved it it was so good those are our highlights for this week thank you so much for listening if you want to keep up to date with the podcast we are on tumblr facebook twitter and instagram under pitch slapped podcast and of course if you want to give any support to the podcast we have set up a ko-fi account under pitch slapped And all the proceeds go towards supporting the podcast and keeping us running. So thank you so much for everybody who keeps supporting us in every way. I really appreciate it. And the fact that you even listen is awesome. I'll see you next time, pitches.